You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Burke. I'm excited to be back on the DU Podcast. we got a fun show. Today on the show, we have Robbie Smith. Robbie Smith is a North Carolinian. He is a business owner, waterfowler, fly fisher, decoy collector. Um, he's also a board member of the Core Sound Waterfowl Museum and Carolina Decoy Collectors Association. He's founder of the Southern Decoy Collectors Facebook group. And his new role is as sporting arts director at Leland Little Auctions. Robbie, did I get them all? I think you got them all, Katie. It's good <laughs> to hear from you. How have you been? I'm good. You know, when I was doing uh, research for this, I learned something about you. I've been friends with Robbie for a while now, and <laughs> I learned uh, that you're an Avid Brothers fan, which I, I thought I was a fun I love the Avid Brothers. Yeah, and They're great. me too. So that was a fun little fact I learned today. So before we get into collecting decoys, I kind of wanted to talk about your like how you got into waterfowling and the outdoors and kind of how you grew up and how that you know and if it was with your parents or that kind of influenced that or what your story is behind being a waterfowler yeah my, my biggest influence in really anything outdoors and this predates being a waterfowler was with my grandfather and my father we grew up quail hunting we would quail hunt every thanksgiving morning every christmas eve morning and it was just great family time. And that began probably when I was 10 years old. I've always been a fisherman. We would fish together in ponds and rivers and lakes. And then as I got older, probably into college, I would go duck hunting with my dad. We would duck hunt over at Lake Matamuskeet, which is Hyde County, North Carolina. 
I also would go to Core Sound, Currituck area. So when I started looking at these decoys that were made in those areas that I kind of cut my teeth on, so to speak, they just mean a lot to me, much more than just a piece of wood, much more than a carved dock, but it brings everything to life. Yeah. Um, when did you get your first decoy? Do you remember? Yeah, my first decoy was bought for, by my wife, and she probably regrets it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> we read a, a trip right when we got married to Ocracoke, North Carolina, and she bought me a reproduction Lee Dudley decoy. And I had that thing for probably 15 years before I did anything. Well, no, it's probably more like eight or nine years before I did anything else. And I used to collect bamboo fly rods, fly fishing reels, but you couldn't really display that. And I had always admired this reproduction of Lee Dudley decoy. So I wanted to get more into decoys. So there was a local auction. They were advertising a Ned Burgess widgeon, which I went and I bought it. And I learned that it was actually made by a guy named Rami Waterfield. And then there was another auction that took place up in Chincoteague, Virginia. I bought some birds there via a friend. And I learned through my mentor, Craig and Drayson. He said, that bird's reheaded. That's reheaded. That one's been reworked. So, you know, I realized that I struck out several times, but it became passionate to try to find truth and uh, learn more about these things. So I sold all of, the, all of those decoys and I bought one really good decoy. And that kind of began, I guess, began the obsession. You know, you hear about people who are collecting and you go through all those, you know, misfires or strikeouts or whatever you want to call them. And so how... How did you go about, like, learning from that? Um, just, like, if someone is getting into collecting today, how would, what advice would you give with that? Like Mentorship is imperative. I mean, you can go buy every book out there, and until you can meet somebody, look at their decoys, and really any collector will invite you to their house, and they'll say, handle the birds, and do that as much as you can. Anybody who's listened to this is welcome to my house. Um and, and every, every other collector is going to say the same thing, but you have to handle the birds. You need to determine what does original paint look like and feel like. What does um, the head attachment to the body, is it correct or not correct? You need to learn how to read x-rays. But basically, you want to build a network of friends that you can count on and you can trust. So how, from that first decoy and those first mistakes, has your collecting philosophy changed? Like, are you still going after the same things that you thought you were going to go after in the beginning, or have you kind of switched gears? Well, I tell you, when I first started, I wanted everything uh, from Core Sound, and I wanted to build a, a significant Core Sound auction. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, significant Core Sound collection. And then my focus changed to Currituck County. And then I wanted birds from Ocracoke. So I'm, I've always been a regional collector of North Carolina decoys, but my focus has changed a little bit. And at one time, I wanted to buy a representative of every carver out there. And I had a collection of roughly 300 decoys. And basically what, that hap what happened there is my wife became unhappy. <laughs> we had clutter everywhere. And, and I sold a lot of those. And I sort of focused on nicer, higher-end decoys. Decoys that not, are not just a decoy, but they are a piece of folk art or per, perhaps fine art. So I never thought about this until you were just talking, but would you say it's advisable almost to buy lower end stuff so that then you can fund going into nicer decoys? I've never thought about that as a strategy, but... It's a great strategy. I mean, it's one that probably 90% of collectors have to use. And then if you get enough 
birds, you can allow your collection to work for you, meaning you can sell 10 decoys and buy one. I'm, I'm trying to strategize that right now as we speak. There's a decoy I have my eye on, and I'm trying to think, well, what do I need to sell to buy that one decoy? And I'm, I think I've got to figure it out. But if you can allow your decoy collection to work for you, it will be good because not only will it help you buy a better decoy, but it allows you to meet new friends. Because in collecting, the friendships that you make are important as the decoys. And I'm talking about friends from guys that collect decoys that are worth $100 to decoys that are worth $100,000. All of those friends make this thing, this decoy collecting journey, a wonderful, wonderful experience. Oh, I agree with that. And what thought of that, like how you mentioned Kragi and Jason, but how has mentorships like, how has it influenced your collecting? And then what has it really meant beyond collecting to you? Well, for, for Kragi, and there's, I have other mentors as well, but specifically for Kragi, he has kept me out of, out of trouble. He has told me, you know, do not buy that bird. That bird has had too much work, too much rework. And sometimes you get so excited about a decoy. You're like, man, I finally found a Mitchell Fulcher decoy. And you, you start really pulling the layers of the onion back and you realize it's not all that. So Craggy has kept me out of trouble. He's kept me on a right, the right path. There have been times I've not taken his advice and I've regretted it. You know, I'm a slow learner, but I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> so so your fa- is your favorite carver James Best? He is, James Best is, my, is by far my favorite carver. So what is it about his work that, like, you? I know, is it like the sculptural part of his decoys or is it the carver himself and his story? What What is it about him? I, I think it's a little, I think it's a little bit of, of everything. So James Best was not a waterfowler. He did not hunt, de- he did not hunt ducks. He made decoys and gave them away as gifts to friends. So there's not a ton of them out there. But he was perhaps the finest sculptural artist from the Southeast, and he just happened to make duck decoys. If you walk into a room, there could be 50 decoys in the room, and if there's a James Best in there, it will pop out every every time. I just love it. It's just pure grace, pure sculpture. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, there's nothing really like them. So when you're like, I know you do North Carolina decoys, but... Is it the form of the decoy that you are more attracted to, or is it sometimes like the story of the carver? It's both. Like Malachi Waterfield, he was a, a Civil War era carver, and he was just a somewhat of a rebel. I mean, he loved to fight, and there was a, a period, especially in, during, during the Civil War, where some Yankee soldiers would come in, and they would pillage the farms, they would kill the livestock, take whatever they could take. And they tried to do this to Malachi Waterfield, and he shot it out with him. He killed three guys. He was wounded himself, but escaped in a cell skiff down a creek and lived uh, you know, li- lived a, a great life. But he's, I mean, that that's the kind of guy's like, man, I've got to have a decoy by Malachi Waterfield. You know, Ned Burgess, I love his paint style. His puddle ducks have a wonderful art deco paint application to them. Uh, Mitchell Fulcher, he's one of the few carvers from North Carolina who could not only carve, but he could also paint. James Best, he was just uh, pure sculpture, pure grace. And then everyone knows of Lee Dudley. I mean, that's probably the most expensive, difficult to find decoy from North Carolina. And they are, I mean, they're iconic on an international level. Yeah, thinking of that. So like in the last, you know, 10 to 5 years, North Carolina decoys have really jumped on the market. And what do you think that interest is and why have they gone up so much lately? <clears throat> well, there's, there are a few catalysts here that I think have helped. 
you have the Core Sound Decor Carver's Guild in Harker's Island. They promote not only the history, but they also promote the um, continuing of the craft. So it gets people interested in wooden decoys. You have the Core Sound Museum, Waterfowl Museum and Heritage Center. They do a great job of, of honoring decoy carvers from North Carolina. You have the Southern Decoy Facebook page. We have 4,500 active members. You have almost 5,000 members now. Just so Is that having a look? Yeah, so I looked yesterday. It's at like 4,800. That's great. And most of those people are active. And, and to, to become a member, you have to ask to be a member. You just don't, you know, you have to ask and you have to be accepted. And the majority, it's like 93% of the people are active, meaning they like images, they comment about things. And I think that's been a big, a big deal. But, but we have a community here that has really wanted to help people provide mentorship. And, you know, Croggy's book, Gunny Birds, was a, a, big, a big success there because it provided a reference library to carvers that would have otherwise gone unknown. Yeah, speaking of your Facebook group, I want to talk about it because it's really the only one out there like that um, that's as active. And it's not just Southern collectors as well. It's all over. So you and Chan did Chandler Sawyer start that with you? So I started by myself and I did it and I did it for selfish reasons because I live in this little landlocked town called Waxhaw, North Carolina. And I wanted to meet people. I wanted to find mentors and I wanted to use that as a way to find decoys. And it turned out to become some, something much bigger than I ever dreamed of. I mean, we have Joe Tonelli, who, you know, he's active. Um, we have Tom Bosworth. He's active. And these are big names and decoy collectors. And they are themselves bringing greater value to the community than I ever could have. So at this point, I'm just, the, the machine is almost driving itself. You know, Ch Ch Chandler is, is a good friend. He's, um, he's a mentor. I respect him tremendously. And I asked him a few years ago to, to be an administrator. And he's been, he's been great. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 
Yeah, like, I mean, I'm guessing you never expected it to kind of become what it has. No, I was hoping we'd get 50 members, to be honest with you. And I'm guessing you had to bring Chandler in as well because it does get a little heated at the, on that Facebook group sometimes. <laughs> it, 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 it does. It, it, it almost did today. I had to walk away. So do you just like <laughs> let it go or do you like have to step in at all or just kind of let it kind of play itself out? Yeah. If, if, if people start cussing and disrespecting people, then I, I will mute people for two or three days. Okay. And and then if they keep doing it, then I'll kick them off. I'm guessing that doesn't happen too often. Yeah, it, 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 you know, once every three or four months, somebody will get kicked off. Once a month, somebody will get muted or they'll get a little nasty gram message off the side. So that's a warning for all those people out there. Behave on the Facebook group. Yeah. You know, people can't sell things there. They can't advertise things. They can try to promote a decoy that they're trying to sell, but we don't want large format ads. We just want this to be a comfortable place where people can share whether I don't care if it's a reheaded $10 decoy or if it's a $10,000 decoy that's just the greatest thing that's ever been made we want everybody to share something up there and, and it's been fun it's been a yeah, great I've also community. noticed like carvers have gotten a good use out of it as well which they don't really have that opportunity always to put their stuff out there. Yeah. And to be honest with you, we need to do a better job of promoting those guys. Same. I need to do a better job as well. <laughs> oh, I didn't know this about you. I learned today. You did, you produced the core values documentary. Um, yep. So when did you do that? I don't, I didn't know about it until today. So, so th this is another funny story. So probably I want to guess we did this like four years ago. So there, there's one gentleman in the North Carolina decoy collecting world. His name is Dolly Fulcher. And this guy, he is just a treasure trove of knowledge and information. And when he walks in a room and starts talking, everybody listens. And everybody, I've, I've heard it, I bet I've heard it a thousand times. They would say, somebody needs to record him and document what he, all his knowledge, because one day it's going to be gone. And I kept hearing it. And then there's a guy I went to church with who was a documentary filmmaker for NASCAR. And, and I said, hey, Quinn, you want to come down and help me with this? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And then football, pro football was on strike. And, and we knew a couple guys that were filmmakers or they, 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 were, um, they, they were film guys with ESPN. So we snuck out. I'll say we checked out, but we kind of snuck out uh, three cameras from ESPN, drove down and recreated a, um, a hunting scene with Dolly Fulcher. He brought a rig of old Tommy decoys. We got a skiff, a true legitimate old skiff. We got a drone to fly over top of the, the scene. It was 20 degrees outside, and Dolly was out there putting out the decoys, pulling a skiff with Mitchell Fulcher's push pole. Oh, wow. How old was he at this time? Dolly at that time was probably 76, 77. It was 20 degrees. He, he didn't wear any gloves. It was just, he's a, he is a man's man. And then, so we, that kind of set the stage. We kind of created the feel of an old time hunt scene. And then we went back to the Core Sound Waterfowl Museum and Dolly Fulcher and Jerry Towton started talking about the history of some of the finest decoys ever made from Core Sound. And it's, uh, it was uh, one of the best days I've ever had in, in decoy collecting. And all just kind of came together by chance. Came together. And if, if you go to the Corsell Museum, they have that film running on a loop. Okay. Is that the only way you can get it? No, they still have some for sale. I think the Corsell Decoy Carver's Guild has some for sale. Um, but they may be gone now. I'm not sure. We, we made a thousand copies. 
and uh, I sold all that all that I had. The museum got some, the guild got some, and I still think they have some left, but I'm not certain. Yeah, I just learned about that today. I didn't know that was something you'd done before. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. So on on like that recording the history side of things, you know, you do a lot of talks at some of the different festivals and auctions. What is your kind of opinion or I wouldn't say necessarily opinion, but thought on educating future collectors or just not even maybe even collectors, just people who are interested in the history and bringing that like story and, you know, continuing that story? Yeah, I, th- I think it's imperative. So the, I, I see there's several different strategies to do it. Number one, you, t- you take the existing duck hunters who are out there. You take DU members. You take people that are going duck hunting with their father and the grandfather, and you teach them that you want to teach them the history of, of the sport that they're participating in. You know, you want to talk to them about market hunting, shorebird hunting, you know, fire lighting, all these really cool things. And that these guys had to hand chop a decoy to get the job done. They couldn't go to Lowe's or they couldn't, couldn't go to um, Bass Pro Shops. They had to make their own tools. And that's fascinating. And then you also find people who are folk art collectors. They don't care about hunting. They don't. They wouldn't even eat a duck if you gave it to them. But they love the art of the tool, whether it's a piece of pottery, whether it's a quilt, whether it's a duck decoy, and that's a big growth area. We find there's a lot of women who are interested in shorebird decoys because you know they're dainty, they're cute, they don't take a lot of space, but they have a great personality. They look great on a mantle. They look good on a on a coffee table. Yeah, yeah. You know that's an interesting point you make about. Um, about them being tools and that they had to carve them to hunt and thinking of hunters today, you know, with the marketing of, you know, commercial decoys and everyone, you know, every year they're buying, I see them every day at Bass Pro buying the newest and latest decoy or whatever. And if you think about that in terms of the people who carve the decoys and how they would change the way they carve decoys to better attract, you know, they did that in their own way. Um, And that's not really a story we think about. We don't think about it that way, like in the same desire we have to buy decoys like we do today. You know, it's still the same basic desire to shoot and hunt more ducks. You know, you're just still trying to, you're trying new ways to be better attract ducks. Right. But, but what fascinates me sometimes is there are carvers, take a Lee Dudley, Take a James Best, take a Cameron McIntyre. These guys take it to a level that is just, they, they take seven or eight steps extra that are just, they make it incredible. And that's what I love as a collector. You know, I spoke with Cameron McIntyre this past Saturday, and he's fascinating. And I, I feel the need to want to own one of his decoys. James Best, you learn about him, you feel that need. It's, um, you know, the, so these guys that go four or five extra steps, and they did not have to do it to attract a duck. No, they just love it. They love the process and what comes out of it. Yeah, Cameron's fascinating. And the way he even lives like that still, yeah, he still lives. So the audience doesn't know Cameron McIntyre is a um, contemporary carver, as we would say. And he still lives and uses the same tools that these old carvers had. Um, I recommend looking him up. Yep, he's the real deal in every step of life. So I don't want to, before we like run out of time or we still have a little more time, but I want to make sure we get to your um, new role as sporting art director at Leland Little Auction. How did you, how did that come about? Like, how did you um, find your way there? Well, that was somewhat accidental as well. 
So I, I have bought decoys from Legal Little, and I came one time to look at some decoys that they were going to auction. This is probably two and a half, th- three years ago. And I was helping them identify some of the decoys that were coming up. And the gallery director said to Leland, you may want to talk to this guy. So Leland called me and said, would you have an interest in this position? And I said, no, I just, I'm too busy. I don't really care to. Just I don't have much, you know, I have no bandwidth. But then we would watch some of the other auction houses post Southern decoys that were misrepresented. And it, it drove me nuts. It drove Croggy nuts. It drove other, the whole community. And when an auction would come up, we, we would not even watch it because there, there might be three or four North Carolina decoys and they were not properly represented. Right. It's a little insulting. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. I, I came back to Leland and I said, listen, if you want to do this and if we can create a venue where we can properly honor and represent Southern decoys, um, I'll do it. And he took it a step further. He said, listen, we're building this 20,000 square foot gallery and you will have the opportunity to display decoys as art. People can come here. You can provide education. The collecting associations can come here and have events. And we're going to create a sporting art fair in February where people can come, vendors can come and set up for free. People can come learn about decoys. There will be education there will be exhibits. They'll be able to see decoys coming up in the next auction. There'll be a decoy library that they can pick up a book and, and read. There'll be couches and chairs. Vendors can come and participate for, at no charge. Um, we can have the Decoy Carvers Guild come set up here. And you might, uh, there might be a uh, carver of, of that event and you, It'd be, you be, might be surprised who that's going to be. Oh, that's awesome. Where is this located in North Carolina? It's in Hillsboro, North Carolina, which is near the Chapel Hill, Raleigh area. Okay. I didn't realize they were doing like that much in like a physical space. Yep. So do they have any events um, scheduled? I know with COVID and everything, but it's starting to slow down. Yeah. The, ne- the next auction, and I've been here working on this today, it's going to be October th- the 28th. And then the auction after that is going to be in February. But the new building, the new gallery will be completed at the end of the year. And then we plan to have this, this event in February to, um, to, to bring more of an in-person type feel to the auction experience. It may, be, it may or may not be gallery auction. That's not been determined yet. But it will be an opportunity for fellowship, for community building, for education, to put your hand on decoys eat some good Eastern North Carolina barbecue and, and and see some contemporary carvers who will blow your mind. I'm glad to hear someone else is stepping into this. Yeah. Well, I tell you, we need it in Southern decoys. The, the Southern decoy community is young. Um, if you look at the Northern collectors, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maryland, it, that community is three generations old. We're, we're just getting started here. So there's never been a better opportunity to collect Southern decoys than right now. I always like to ask to all of our collectors, um, if you have any advice, do you, ha- do you have any advice for a new collector that's coming in? Yeah, it, it would be meet as many people as you can. And any collector will be happy to have you in, your, in, in their home and handle any, every bird you, you can. 
by the books, but a lot of the books are some of the, well, some of the books are antiquated. You know, some of the, them are, there are birds in there that are truly misrepresented. Um, but as you get to know people, no collections, no decoys, you'll know which birds are correctly identified in the books and which ones are not. But, but meet as many people. And I told my dad recently, I said, when I first started collecting decoys, it was about the ducks, it was about the birds, it was about the decoys. But now it's more about the friendships and the experiences. I've been hunting in some incredible places with these friends. I've been fishing with them. Um, it, it's, it's been a game changer for me. I've, I've loved every bit of it. Yeah, you came hunting with me. That's right. And I hope we need to do it again. <laughs> Before we end up, I kind of want to know, do you have, you mentioned earlier, do you have your eye on anything right now that you want to collect? Is there something out there you're after? Or are you willing to say if there's something out there you're after? Well, I tell you, I, I have been buying a few Virginia decoys, but there are, there's probably three North Carolina birds I would love to get my hands on. And I know one of them is going to come to the market and I don't think anybody knows about it yet. So I'm going to try to keep that on the lowdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robbie, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to add? I truly admire what Ducks Unlimited is doing, not just, you know, providing conservation of this incredible resource, but you are also honoring the heritage of duck hunting, decoys, this incredible folk art, which is, I mean, it's probably the finest indigenous American folk art form there, that exists. Yes, I'm a firm believer of knowing where you came from to know where you're going. Amen, and I respect you so much for that. Well, thank you, Robbie, for coming on the show. It was a great time. Um, hope we can get you back on soon. It was my honor. I loved it, and I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks again to our special guest, Robbie Smith, for sharing your knowledge of collecting Carolina decoys. Thanks to our producer, Clay Baird. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. 
united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.